Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to John chapter 14. We're going to read 17 verses together. Lucas has already given you the topic that we're going to study today, which is the Holy Spirit. But as he also said, that uh, as leaders, we felt that it was necessary to present our subject matter as verbs, as doing words. So, for example, whereas we would say we believe in honesty... It's sometimes thought to be more kind of instructional and dynamic if you rather say, tell the truth. And my verb or sets of verbs for you today is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a message for you if you have been a Christian for five days, for five months, or maybe 50 years. Although I think probably Ian Jones is probably the only one who... (laughs) fits into that last category. I felt I could get away with that with you, brother. I'm sure you'll get me back another time. And we're going to go through some verses in the Scriptures uh, above and beyond John chapter 14 to do with the Holy Spirit, His work, His operation, what He does for the life of the believer. And the picture I want you to get before we go into this teaching is like a helicopter landing on a helipad. In order for a helicopter to land, unless it's been equipped to land at sea, it needs a place, a solid place for the helicopter to land. And the Scripture and the Holy Spirit are are kind of like the land and the helicopter. The, The Holy Spirit coming like the helicopter down and descending. And the Word of God is the platform for the Holy Spirit to land upon. If the, the platform is sure and firm, then the Holy Spirit will have a solid uh, place to land. So now into John chapter 14. Just a very quick note on context. I've been told before I often spend too long on context. Um, but just to give you some idea of what's going on here, we're at a, a kind of a pivotal point in Jesus' ministry in that he's been journeying with his disciples for a while, and it's handover time. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven after he's been to the cross. The cross is after this, and then the ascension. And he's, as he has been all along, I guess, in some ways, but he's specifically preparing them with the teaching that they're going to need for that next chapter in their ministry. It's a kind of a handover time. Have you ever watched a relay race? And what happens in a relay race is someone's carrying a baton for a while, and then they're getting ready to pass it on to the next person. There's a time when the hander honor and the receiver both have their hand on the baton at the same time. And this is a handing over point. And uh, Jesus wants to make sure that the ministry that he has begun is going to continue in his physical absence. Lucas is going to be on sabbatical this year. He may have told you, he may have not. And one of the things I'm sure he will give to the rest of us in every department and, and, and every kind of ministry that uh, is going on at Life Church is it needs to be business as usual. Yeah. 
And Jesus wants to make sure that in his physical absence, as he passes on to his disciples that baton of ministry, he wants to make sure it's business as usual. He didn't want the miracles to stop. He didn't want the preaching to stop. He didn't want the power encounters to stop. He didn't want people to to cease to be transformed and to be renewed and to be set free. Jesus wanted all of that stuff to happen. And as he discusses and teaches the work of the Holy Spirit, he is giving his disciples a key, arguably perhaps the most important key, as to what they needed in order to be business as usual for the kingdom of God. So this is verse 1. Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you knew me, you would also know my Father, and from now on you do know him, and you have seen him. Lord, Philip said, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time, Philip, the one, and you still don't know me? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? And the words that I speak to you, they're not my own. It's the Father who does in me his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And therefore, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and he will be in you. My first point to you this morning is that the continuing ministry of Jesus is expressed through the abiding work of the Holy Spirit. In order for the continuing work of Jesus to happen, the Holy Spirit needs to do some work in us. In Jesus's handover, in his baton exchange to his disciples, he is saying that as he was going to the Father, he wasn't going to leave them as orphans, he wasn't going to leave them alone, and it was going to be this counselor, somebody to come alongside who would work with them and work through them. And in the same way that Jesus said for people to see him was to see the Father, I also believe as people see the Spirit at working us, they see the Son, Jesus. Jesus was so close in his walk with his heavenly Father, so accurate in the way that the Father would want him to to live out. Jesus could say, to see me is to see the Father. And so I believe as we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to work more fully in us, people will see the Son and the Father in us also. So the more we allow our lives to be shaped 
by the work of the Holy Spirit, the more we allow our life to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's quite a bold claim, but I would say to you, the more you allow yourself to be yielded to and worked through by the Holy Spirit, people will be able to look at you and see your Heavenly Father and see the Son, Jesus. We may never get to the point where Jesus could, like Jesus could, that he perfectly represented the Father, but the degree to which we represent the Father is linked to our, uh, our involvement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, one of uh, the ways I wanted to kind of illustrate this to you was through these gloves. Now, I've been accused in times past that my preaching is sometimes a little bit conceptual and abstract. So I made a decision in this series that I would give you some object lessons to kind of illustrate at least two of my points anyway. Now the first one are these gardening gloves. Now they're a bit redundant for me because I have artificial grass at home. So maybe I'll raffle them off to one of the congregations afterwards. Now these gloves are designed and purposed to be in the garden. But if I was to give these gardening gloves a little pep talk about gardening and just cast them into the garden, that wouldn't get the gardening done. I could combine them with other gardening gloves and give them all a little pep talk about gardening and what they need to do and throw them all into the garden as a group of gardening gloves and the gardening still wouldn't get done. I could baptize these gloves into water, full immersion. I could read the scripture, I could do what? I could read Gardener's World to them and throw them into the garden, and that would not get the gardening done. Why is that? It's because these gloves, they need a hand. Look at this. They need a hand inside them. Once the hand goes in the glove, that enables the gloves to do their work. And that's a little bit like our walk with the Holy Spirit. It's like the hand of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit is in the glove of our lives. And as the Holy Spirit kind of wiggles and works inside us, the work of God gardening his world happens as his hand through the Holy Spirit's Christ's hand is in us and in the wider church. You are the glove. Jesus is ultimately the hand, but he works through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we need the work of the Holy Spirit in order for the hand of Christ to continue its work in the world. The second thing about the work of the Holy Spirit is he is the power as well for you to begin and to operate in whatever ministry God has given you. In Acts 1 verse 8, it says, or Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what's interesting as we read the rest of the narrative of Acts through the Acts of the Apostles is that those who receive the Holy Spirit, this infilling, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we sometimes call it, this empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't happen to them just once. In fact, Peter, who is arguably the most prominent of the disciples at that point, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, another way that we can describe that coming power of the Holy Spirit. That happens at least three times in the first five chapters. What I believe we can deduce from that is that there's nothing deficient about the first time that Peter receives this infilling, this touch of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing deficient about the second time he receives this empowerment of the Holy Spirit, nor the third time. I believe that if we were to 
well, if the writers were, were interested in, in conveying more information about Peter's own personal spiritual life, there would be many more times that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's because the infilling of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit's continuing work to help us to do the work of ministry, not just with, with diligence, but with great supernatural power. Now, often when people hear someone speak on this message, one of the arguments or the responses to that is that, didn't I receive all of the Holy Spirit when I became a Christian? Didn't I receive the work of the Holy Spirit in me at that point? Aren't you trying to argue to me that I was kind of only 50% full of the Holy Spirit and then I needed a bit more in order to be fully complete in the Holy Spirit? And my response to them is no. And let me give you my reasons for that. Without getting too technical, this is the only real kind of semi-technical part in my message today. When Jesus died for us on the cross and he paid the penalty for all sin, one of the words that we use to describe that is atonement, this kind of, this one-ment that Jesus provides. It's full, it's complete, it's total. It's not deficient in any way. When you become a Christian and you receive the forgiveness of God, it is permanent and it is complete. But also we have passages in the Bible like 1 John 1, 8 and 9, where it is said that if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why does he say that? That seems to hold, the, the, it holds some uh, um, disagreement over whether Jesus has completely forgiven us. Well, the reason that both of those things are true is because they're describing different works of what the cross can do for us. The cross provides complete forgiveness. We are saved. We are forgiven. But there's this work of ongoing forgiveness in our lives that we call sanctification, where we bring daily to Jesus our mistakes, our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups, and say, God, I've, I've failed today in some way. And Jesus says, there's forgiveness for you. I'm going to cleanse you from that, the effects of that thing, and apply the work of the cross to your life and to that situation. So we can be fully complete in the salvation of God and yet daily appropriate that forgiveness in a second work of the cross in our lives. It doesn't mean that you need that second work to get to heaven. It's just a continuing enablement of the cross to get you through this life. And in the work of the Holy Spirit, when you become born again, you receive the fullness of God in the Holy Spirit. But that second work, like Jesus' sanctifying work, is the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, which continues time and time again as you come back to him to be refilled. It's not that the first time you received the Holy Spirit was deficient. It was just a different purpose of his work. They're different categories of his operations. Same person doing two different things. Jesus is your savior, but he's also your sanctifier. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you new birth and washes your sins away, but he also continues to empower you to deliver the message of the gospel and to live in the kind of way that honors and brings glory to Jesus. So the instruction to be filled with the Holy Spirit is in no way saying that somebody who would never have claimed to have received some baptism or infilling of the Holy Spirit is deficient. It's just a different focus of the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And so when Jesus says that you need to receive power, he's talking about a different work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the third thing I would give to you in terms of a uh, um, point about the Holy Spirit comes from 1 Corinthians 14.1, where it says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. Now, we've just had Christmas. My kids did fairly well this Christmas. Uh, thanks to a little bit of a gift from my father, actually, that made that a particularly special Christmas for them. But one thing I would have been shocked at if they'd come to me on Boxing Day and said, can I have some more gifts? I would have said to them, no, the gift day was yesterday. Today is Boxing Day. It's where we get rid of all the boxes that your gifts yesterday came in. You get Christmas Day, you don't get Boxing Day. Or the day after, or the day you're done to your birthday which for one of them is actually the end of January, which isn't too far to wait. But for the others, it's a little way off. But Jesus doesn't confine his gift-giving to one day or to one gift. To the apostle Paul, he says to the church that we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts. If you were to try and get into the, the kind of the grammar and the syntax and, and the intention behind those original words in Greek, it is basically saying continually seek spiritual gifts. Keep on seeking. You're not going to exhaust the heart and the measure and the, and, the, and the resources of heaven if you want some more gifts. So if you believe that Jesus has equipped you through the Holy Spirit to operate with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, don't just stop with one or two. Ask for more. If you've already prophesied, then ask for maybe the gift of the interpretation of tongues or for faith or for healing. Most of us, I'm sure, have been in a situation where we've seen somebody who's sick and thought, man, God, I would love to be able to do something in that situation. We'll pray to the Lord that he would give you through the work of the Holy Spirit that anointing, that equipping in order for you to pray for the sick in a special way. It doesn't mean you have to wait for the gift to come in order to pray for the sick, but it seems to be that from the way that these gifts operate, that people seem to move in a special and anointed, uh, particularly anointed way when that gift is uh, operational in their, in their lives. Lucas, for example, he seems to have the gift of administration amongst the many other gifts in his life. It doesn't mean I can't administrate, it just it means that he tends to excel in that gift. We can, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can excel in certain gifts, supernatural gifts. Sometimes if we read in Romans uh, about the gifts of the Holy Spirit as they're recorded there in Romans chapter 12, some of those gifts don't look particularly supernatural. Some of those gifts that are mentioned there are giving and service and mercy. Sometimes those gifts don't look overtly spiritual, but they are given by the Holy Spirit in order for the church to grow and to be built and to develop. And those gifts that are overtly supernatural and those gifts that are not overtly supernatural, they can work together. Wouldn't it be great to have people with the gift of mercy, that's a kind of a, a special compassion and kindness, and people who have the gift of prophecy. You can kind of put your arm around somebody to say, hey, hey there, I know what you're going through is really tough and I want to just 
be God's hands and, and, and kind of extension of love to you, and then begin to prophesy over them about what God's going to do in their future. It's the way that the gifting can come together. And Jesus wants to do that through every one of us. You don't need to have been to Bible college. You don't need to have a special kind of uh, mention from the front from anyone on a leadership level. You just need to speak to the gift giver, which is Jesus himself. So we need to continually ask and be expecting to receive more gifts from the Holy Spirit. The fourth thing I would offer to you is, uh, offer to you is when we're walking with the Holy Spirit, because He is so valuable to us, because He is such a vital part of our lives, we also need to be careful not to grieve Him. We need to live in such a way that we manage to get out of our lives those things which can sadden the heart of God. Now, God always loves us. His love is unconditional. God loves us in a way that we can't fully understand as humans because we're temporal, we're flawed. When somebody rubs us up the wrong way, we might feel that we love them less than we did before they rubbed us up the wrong way. But God doesn't work like that. His love is constant and continuing. But we can elicit a kind of a sadness from him when we act in a way that displeases him or discourages him. It's kind of like my kids. I love them so much. I really do. My heart bursts with love for all three of my little boys. But if they act in certain ways that I think are dishonorable or just poor behavior, they can cause a sadness in me. And it seems to be that from the language of Scripture, it says this in Galatians 5.16, uh, that we should, um, sorry, Ephesians um, 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, do not sadden the Holy Spirit in whom you were sealed. It seems to be that the Apostle Paul understands that we can live in a certain way, that while God constantly loves us, we can live in such a way that saddens him. So we need to learn what it is that can sadden the heart of God so we can deal with it. Now, some of those things that sat in the heart of God may be attitudes or character flaws in our life which are difficult to change. If change was easy, we'd all be doing it. There'd be no coming around to New Year's resolutions all the time or seeking therapists or whatever means by which you, you feel that you need some support to change. We'd all just kind of like, oh, I'm going to change that. And then we'd do it and everything would be hunky-dory. But change often in many aspects of our lives doesn't happen so easily. But one thing the Holy Spirit can do is that he can help us to address those parts of our character and our lives which we struggle to do in our own strength. And here's my second illustration to you today. Now, I have a, a vase with ping pong balls. Now, you, hopefully most of you can see my hand is too fat to get inside that vase. I could tip it upside down, yes, for those of you who are being clever clogs, uh, but I can't reach inside the vase. One way I can access the, t the table tennis balls in the jar is to fill it with water. The more I fill it, The water does the work of bringing the things I couldn't get by my own strength to the surface. 
And that's kind of like what the Holy Spirit will do with the various different kind of character parts of our lives, which we struggle to to get our hands on, to struggle to kind of uh, uh, deal with in our own strength. By being filled with the Holy Spirit, he brings stuff to the surface. Stuff that maybe you didn't even know was there, he can bring your attention to. So as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it helps us to deal with the things that in our own strength, in our own way, we would have found too challenging. So the more we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the more aware of the things we need to change, and the greater the strength and opportunity we have to access them and to deal with them. So often change isn't about simply just trying to wrestle with your character. It's presenting yourself as a vessel before God and say, Lord, fill me until there's so much of you in me that the stuff I used to do is of no use to me anymore. Often our habits and our, our hang-ups and the things that we do in our lives, they were there to serve a purpose. They were like a, a way of coping with life because we've been hurt or, 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 or we've found life difficult in some way. So we pick up a habit as a way of kind of like a crutch to get us through. But as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we get the real substance of what we were created for and those habits become redundant. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the thing that will not only free you, but will give you a distaste for anything else that is not Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good, the Bible says. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul said, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Almost as if, if getting drunk on wine gives you a good feeling... Wait till you get more of the Holy Spirit because that stuff is so much better for you. And given the rise of inflation, it's a lot cheaper for you as well. So the more of the Holy Spirit we have, he's active, he's at work. So the question comes to us finally is what are you going to do in response to those instructions about the Holy Spirit? So if you're somebody who says, well, I believe in Jesus... I believe that the Holy Spirit has become active in my life. I would challenge you this morning, when was the last time you invited the Holy Spirit to do a greater or a second or a third or a fourth work in you? Have you boxed the Holy Spirit into this work that happens in you when you become a Christian of just sealing you for heaven? Or are you open to the work of the Holy Spirit to be doing a continued work in you through your Christian life. Because we want to be those useful gardeners in God's vineyard. We want to be useful farmers for the Lord. We want that hand of Christ to be active and at work in our lives. And the degree to which we yield to the Holy Spirit, the degree to which he abides in us, the degree to which he fills us, to that degree we are allowing the work of Christ to happen through us. Jesus said to the disciples, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. It's the work of Christ. And how is through the work of the Holy Spirit? Are you feeling spiritually dry? Well, then come to the Holy Spirit. Ask him to fill you. Are you struggling with a hurt or a habit and a hang-up? Yes, get someone to pray with you. Yes, maybe put some sort of plan of action in place. Yes, maybe get some accountability. But also come to the feet of Jesus and say, will you pour out your spirit into me? Has something been dogging your life for many years and you just can't reach it and get hold of it and remove it from your life? Then ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. 
Are you lacking direction in your life? Well, the Holy Spirit can also lead you. The Holy Spirit is going to do in you and through you what would happen if Christ was physically present with you. So as Christ hands over the baton to the church, to his, initially to his 12 disciples, he's saying to them, nothing has to change because the Holy Spirit's coming and as you let him do through you what I let him do through me, we'll get the same results. In some ways, it'll be like I've never gone. And so often as believers, we think, oh man, Jesus, if you were just here right now, I'd love to talk to you about this, or I want your opinion on this. Jesus says, I am. I am with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. How is he with us, you ask? Through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he's available to every one of us. If you excel in the gift of prophecy, then ask him for more. Boxing Day is no restriction to heaven. Heaven has an abundance of anything and everything that it, it has to give you. He wants to bless you with it. I'll finish with this final verse and then we're going to just pray. Luke eleven thirteen says, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? In the book of Acts, Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for an appointed time for when the Holy Spirit would come. He was waiting for a harvest festival, actually, as his kind of backdrop for the coming of the Holy Spirit because of its symbolic value. Jesus wanted their, the church's mission into the world to be seen like a harvest, so he waited for a harvest festival at Pentecost for the Holy Spirit to come the first time. But you don't have to wait today. We don't have to wait for a harvest festival or any other festival. We just have to ask. God is as close to us as we're prepared to let him be. And he will move on us in any way that we invite him to that is not in contradiction to his will. And his will for you is that you be filled with him. If you ask to be filled with him, you won't go wrong and he will fill you. He says so here. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit. Jesus' ministry and his glory and his reputation ride on you and I being filled with the Holy Spirit. People seeing the work of God, the Heavenly Father, in the church relies on us being filled with the Holy Spirit. The people around you being affected by God relies on you being filled with the Holy Spirit. Your direction, your correction, where you go, what you do, what you say, what you think. It's all a work of the Holy Spirit as we yield ourselves to Him. You can walk in your own strength, with your own thoughts, in your own way, to your own destination. Or as you yield to the abiding work of the Holy Spirit, you can go God's way and think God's thoughts to do God's works. We have to choose, we have to yield, we have to ask, and as we do, God will come, and he will do the work of Christ in us. So I don't want to force or contrive anything this morning. I can't fill you with the Holy Spirit. I can only offer you the scriptures as that landing pad for the helicopter to come to land on. But just where you are right now, just... If it helps, close your eyes. I'm not going to pick your pockets. 
stay seated. You don't need to stand. God looks at your heart. He knows whether you're open to him right now or not. But I just want to encourage you just to invite the Holy Spirit to do something in you. Whether it be a gift to deal with a sin, to lead you forward, just to refresh you, whatever it is, ask him. Ask him. I'm just going to pray briefly, then we're just going to wait. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to do his work this morning, just for a few moments. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.